This morning we will be studying 2 Timothy chapter 1. So please go ahead and open your Bibles up there. We will not cover the whole chapter this morning. We will only study up through verse 14 today. So if everyone's there, we'll go ahead and jump right on into it. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. So Paul here understands who he is and why he is who he is. He's an apostle. That was God's will for him. He once was lost in a world of sin, separated from God because of sin. He met Jesus Christ one day as he traveled along a road to the city of Damascus. He was headed in his own direction at that point in his life. He was the captain of his own ship, so to speak, and uh, he had his own plans. But all of that changed when Christ entered his life. So his life as an apostle, he understood, was not his will, but God's will. You see, Paul didn't make a decision to be an apostle, nor did any of the other apostles for that matter. They were chosen by God. But Paul also understood that, as he says there at the end of verse 1, that he would not be doing what he was doing if not for the life which was in Christ Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 15, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So in the vine is life. You know, I stood by my window here earlier this week, uh, one day this week, and we have uh, this ornamental orange tree out in our side yard. It produces oranges, but they're not very good to eat. But anyway, it was just outside my window there, and for some reason I was just briefly captivated by it. It kind of fascinated me. And maybe I've never given it any thought before, but it's just amazing to me that a piece of fruit can sprout out of what I would call a stick. How does this happen? And I don't mean how does it happen scientifically. I mean, how does it happen at all? Of course, I know that it happens because the Creator God spoke it all into motion, right? And I really can't explain the the depths of my thought on it that I had that day, I was just struck with the awesomeness of God, our Creator, in the creation of an orange tree, for example, right? But in that vine of that tree, there is life. Life that produces fruit. And in most cases, if you go to a real orange tree, <laughs> you know, it's going to be an edible fruit. And it's a fruit that you can actually 
get much, many nutrients out of it. It can benefit your life greatly. You and I today do not know true life without knowing Christ. That's the point here. Now, of course, all human beings, with or without a relationship with Jesus Christ, they live and breathe, right? But there is a nothingness to just living and breathing in a sense, you know, where you say, this can't be all there is. And many people, if they were to sit down and think about their life, they they would wonder, what's it all about? But when a person comes to Christ, that nothingness or that, you know, that wondering what's it all about is, is satisfied. And you understand that you now have a new life, an eternal life, an abundant life in Christ. And your life then begins to, to bear fruit, spiritual fruit, because you've come to that life of Christ. And that spiritual fruit, we know, because Galatians 5 tells us what that spiritual fruit is, right? It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? And I know that if you've listened to me for any period of time, you've come to our Bible studies here, I sound like a broken record on this, but all of these things are internal. You see, Jesus gives us a new life, an eternal life that is found internally when we are born of the Spirit. Now, of course, we still live in this temporary body and we're just passing through this temporary earth and we're going to go into our eternal life. But there's a new life inside of a person that comes to Christ and they begin to bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And again, the Apostle Paul here knew as we read verse 1, he knew who he was. And he knew why he was who he was. And he starts this second letter to Timothy with that proclamation. And then in verse 2, he says, To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul expressed the things here that he hoped for in Timothy's life right? He, he hoped that Timothy would have grace, mercy, peace from God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he goes on to say in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. So in verse 2 there, Paul calls Timothy a beloved son. Timothy was younger than Paul. If life took its natural course, Timothy would have more years on the earth to serve the Lord after Paul's death. And Paul understood that he was pouring into Timothy as a father would a son. Paul loved Timothy in a genuine way and he took care and concern to pray for Timothy twice a day. 
Not only that, but in verse 4, Paul says to Timothy that I am greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. You see, it wasn't easy for Paul in those days, and nor was it easy for Timothy. They were persecuted for their faith, as was everyone that testified for the name of Jesus Christ. Literally, in their lives, there was blood, there was sweat, and there was tears. There were times of great lack, as Paul mentioned elsewhere in his writing, right? Serving the Lord is a thankless place to be most often. But Jesus walked that walk long before any of us. And he was our example as to how we are to get through this life as people of faith. And Timothy had a genuine faith. In other words, it wasn't superficial. He wasn't a fair-weather fan of Jesus Christ. He didn't seek the Lord in poverty and forget about the Lord in prosperity. And he didn't love Jesus in prosperity and curse him in poverty. His faith was genuine. And he had a legacy of this in his life. He was raised up around faith. Speaking of that faith, verse 5 continues, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and, and I am persuaded is in you also. So notice that Timothy's father is not mentioned here as being in the faith, but his mom and his grandmother are. And Paul could evidently see the faith that was in Timothy as well. And Timothy had this heritage in his life of his mom and his grandmother being in the faith. Then verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul, need, you know, he felt the need here to remind Timothy of something. Timothy had a gift, a gift to preach, a gift to spread the gospel, a gift as an overseer to the churches. But maybe Timothy was struggling at this point in time, and somehow Paul knew this. Paul said, I'm mindful of your tears, Timothy. I know it's hard, but I'm praying for you. Don't be afraid, Timothy. Verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul is telling Timothy that this is what God has called him to. And, you know, for you and me here this morning, it's what God has called us to as well. We have a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. That word fear there in verse 7 is a Greek word that means timidity, fearfulness, cowardless, or excuse me, uh, cowardice. That's not what God has given us. If that's what we live in, well, then we know it's not from God. But Timothy needed to be reminded of this. 
as today we are reminded of this as we study God's Word. The word power there in verse 7 is a Greek word dunamis, right? And it, it, it speaks of strength and ability. Now, any strength or any ability that we have, we must understand its origin. Again, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, right? Paul here reminded Timothy to stir up the gift that is within him. But the gift came to him from the laying on of the hands. The Holy Spirit gives the gifts for the works of the kingdom of God. Sometimes, though, we bury these gifts, or the world buries them for us. We get bogged down by the weight of this world. We get timid. We get fearful. We get cowardice. And there needs to be a stirring up of what we know we are called to do and what we are called to be in this world. God has given us by His Spirit strength and ability. Right? Power, as it's termed there in verse 7. And we need to stir up that power that's in you. Put it into action in your life. Be bold in your life. Don't let fear rule the roost. Instead, stir up your strength and your abilities that are from God. And if you need somebody to to pray for you, to lay hands on you, I'll be glad to do it. Now, back there in verse 6 where it says to stir up the gift, that's a, a phrase in the in the Greek that I won't even try to pronounce to you this morning. You can look it up, but it means to kindle up or inflame one's mind. It means strength, zeal. So again, we need to remind ourselves. We need to kindle up. We need to ignite the flame within our minds to the fact that God has given us strength by His Spirit. You see, we can live boldly in this world, and yet live humbly in the sight of God. See, to live boldly doesn't mean you're arrogant. Okay? We are to live humbly. We're to walk humbly with our God. Now, what about where it says there in verse 7 that God has given us a sound mind? What does that mean? Well, the Greek word here speaks of a calm, self-controlled mind. Think about that. It's a calm, self-controlled mind. So this speaks of a mind that's not in a panic, not confused. Do you ever notice that this is what happens when we're in a fearful situation, panic sets in, and often confusion follows? These things are natural to our carnal minds. Circumstances are bleak, and the mind says, we have a problem, right? I don't know what to do. How can I get out of this situation? Well, is this wrong that we feel this way? Are we letting God down? Well, if so, Timothy did the same thing, right? Something was going on in his life that brought tears. And Paul was mindful of those tears. And Timothy needed somebody that would just pray for him and somebody that would encourage him and exhort him. And that's what we are to do as the body of Christ with one another. And you see, Timothy, just like you and me, he needed to be reminded 
of who is really on the throne. God is good. The Lord is with us. Stir up that gift that is within you. Seek God. Don't worry. Have faith. Refocus because it's going to be all right. Again, to our carnal mind, this is not logical. But what are we to do as people of faith? We are to actually walk by faith, aren't we? Not by sight. We are to trust in the unseen. We are to seek God. We are to make our request known to God, to not be anxious, as the Scripture tells us, but to bring everything before God, to cast our cares upon Him. Right? So we don't just sit back and do nothing because Paul's teaching Timothy something different here. The answer is get up, get going. Faith without works is dead. Change the situation. But all the while, trust in God that His will and not your will will be done. So don't live in fear. Use your God-given power, your abilities to kindle the fire and keep pressing on in the faith. Keep going. Keep a sound mind in the process. God is not the author of confusion, as the Scriptures tell us. Nor did He give us a spirit of fear. I read a, a, a good Bible story in my personal devotion time this week, and I'd like to share it with you this morning. Turn uh, to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. Second Kings chapter seven. And let's start reading in verse one. It says, Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord. Tomorrow about this time a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So just to set the scene for you here real quickly, what's taking place here is Israel is in a famine and it's real bad. And on top of that, the Syrian army is encamped not too far out of the city, ready to attack with thousands of men. But Elisha was prophesying something really good here. Food was about to be so plentiful that it was going to be sold cheap. This is Elisha's prophecy. Then verse 2 says, So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? So basically, the guy says, yeah, right, Elisha. That's not possible within our present-day circumstances. Can't you see what's going on? That's not possible. Forget about it. Well, he probably didn't say all that, right? But then Elisha says to him, 
as verse 2 continues. And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? So you see, what happens here is something gets stirred up in their minds, like Paul told Timothy. Think about it and get busy. Thinking alone doesn't do it. There must be action as well, all right? Verse 4, they say, these, these, these leprous guys, right? if, if we say, we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. Now, remember, they're lepers, so they're not allowed in the city. But they're saying, if we get bold enough to enter the city, what good would that do? There's no food there anyway. Verse 4, and if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. They keep us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall only die. So it pretty much seems hopeless. The city is living in fear, and so is the king. But these four lepers say, hey, let's go for it. If we just sit still here, it doesn't get us anywhere. We're starving to death sitting still. There's one chance to live if we go to the Syrian camp. They may get killed, right? But on the other hand, they may get fed and be kept alive. So what did they do? Verse 5, And they rose at twilight to go to the camps, or the camp of the Syrians. Now, I'm sure you know all this, but twilight is that period of time when the day is ending and the night is beginning. It's when there's just that little bit of light left between day and night. And verse 5 continues. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. So wait a minute here, right? Could it be that all of that fear was for nothing? It says, verse 6, For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a, a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. So you see, they knew that Israel didn't have enough strength to have that many people coming up against them. So now they feared that Israel had hired a couple of armies to help them. But verse 7 here speaks such power to me. It says, therefore, they arose and fled at twilight. So I want to pause right there. This mighty Syrian army arose and fled at twilight. That's the same time that the four lepers made up their mind to get up and go, get up and do something. It was at twilight. Could it be 
that the Lord God magnified the footsteps of these four lepers? Could it be that he made their steps be like the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army? We do know this, their decision to get up and do something rather than just sitting around and dying ended up to be a life-changing peop- uh, excuse me, decision for all the people of Israel. Have you ever felt like it's twilight for you? So many problems loom so large in your life. You feel helpless. You feel hopeless. Maybe you just feel like dying. Maybe you fear something that can't be solved in your life. But maybe it can be solved if you would just get up and do something. Stir up the gifts that are in you. Take the steps you know, that seem like they might have a bad outcome, but who knows what the Lord can do when you decide to just get up and go. You decide just to get up and do something. The Lord chases away the enemy when we walk by faith. When we have an active, when we have a a living faith that is producing works rather than a starving faith that is just dying on the vine, because of fear. Verse 7 continues and says of the Syrian army that they left the camp intact. Their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. (laughs) What were they running from? They were running from a noise that the Lord made. The four lepers were indeed used by God. But they had to take the steps, didn't they? Their life, the circumstances of their life was bleak. They had to get up and do something. Who knows what awaits you if you just get up and do something? Verse 8, And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, They went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. You see, this is the Lord's provision for them. When you face your fears, you always come out ahead because so often you find that what you feared wasn't there when you got there anyway. There's victory when you take steps of faith and you do something. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear has been described as false evidence appearing real. F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. But then in verse 9, then they said to one another, We are not doing right. 
This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they decided, hey, we found something good. And they knew that they needed to share it. Verse 10, so they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, We went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. So the king is still hanging on to fear here, isn't he? Fear can have such a strong grip on our lives at times. It can cause us to look at life in a very pessimistic way. To have that attitude of, oh, there's got to be something bad around the corner. So I'll just sit still because with my luck, ah, you know, the way things go for me, ah, I'm not even going to try. You know, Proverbs 26.13 comes to mind. It says, the lazy man says there is a lion in the road a fierce lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. So you see, you got to get up and you got to do something with your faith. The proverb, uh, Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You see, we're the ones with God on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us? So the king is still having some doubt, but then verse 13 says, and one of his servants answered and said, please let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. So in other words, he's saying, everyone in the city is starving. If you send these men and the remaining horses, and this is a trick by the Syrians, hey, we're still hungry. But on the other hand, right, something can happen and these men and these horses get killed, and they don't come back at all. Well, at least we'll know one way or the other, right? So let's just send them. That's what the servant is convincing the king of here. Therefore, verse 14, they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan. And indeed, all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs 
of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. So it turned out just as Elisha, the man of God, said that it would. God was with them, and he is with us. So as we turn back now to 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul tells Timothy, and the word of God tells us today, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And then in verse 8, Paul continues and says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So he's saying to Timothy, keep preaching the gospel. Don't give up. Don't be dismayed. Don't sit still in fear. God is using you, Timothy. God wants to use you in this life. And for all of us, God wants to use us in this life. But we can't sit around and do nothing. We got to get up and in his love, reach out. Do it by faith. Share the gospel. There's that co-worker, that family member, whatever it may be, that God, whoever God puts in your path that needs to know of the love of God. And we can't sit around in fear of, oh, what will they think? Or, oh, what will happen? And, oh, I don't want to suffer. Paul's encouraging Timothy here to get up, to stir up that gift, do something. Because when you get up and you start to take steps of faith, that's when you'll know the power of God at work in your life. Just like those four lepers. They got up when things were bleak for them. And they began to take steps of faith. And those steps of faith thundered to scare away the enemy. And speaking of God, Paul tells, Paul tells um, Timothy in verse 9, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own power and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So Paul continues to encourage Timothy here in the fact that they have a holy calling. There's no greater message that the world needs to hear than other than the gospel. And Paul and Timothy were preaching the gospel and spreading the gospel in their day. And Paul knew that it wasn't because of who he was. It wasn't because of any good works he had done. He knew that the opposite was true for himself. And he called himself the chief of sinners. He knew it was God's grace that had offered salvation to mankind. And he knew that this was God's plan from the beginning of time. So the time came for God to reveal his plan. And verse 10 says, But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through 
the gospel. So this is a, a very important verse of Scripture that should be talked about often within Christianity. Jesus appeared, abolished death. He brought life and immortality to life. And how is all this done? Through the gospel. Through the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This message of salvation and eternal life that Jesus brought, you know, it, it, it went to the, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And it continues to spread throughout the world today. And we can't move away from spreading the gospel. It's what the world needs to hear. And it's what we always need to be reminded of. You see, today, in, in many ways, our churches are social clubs, places where we gather for fun, food, laughter, hear a, a good inspirational message, but never be challenged to get up and to get out and spread the gospel. We are called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. No one can be saved without the gospel. No one's saved because of their good works or they're a good person. They need to come to the gospel. Even Timothy needed to be reminded of this when he was in Christ. We must stay true to the gospel, hold fast to the gospel, and continue to preach the gospel. This message is so vital, so important that Paul was willing to go to prison rather than to keep it quiet. Seems today, most people just want to keep the gospel quiet. But you know, many other people besides the apostle Paul lost their life for the sake of the gospel. Paul continues to speak of the gospel in verse 11, and he says, To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. You see, as a preacher, Paul spread the gospel. And preachers should still be doing this today. As an apostle, he established church gatherings. And this needs to still go on today. We should have more and more churches popping up everywhere that are preaching the gospel. Churches in houses, churches everywhere. And Paul, as a teacher to the Gentiles, he reached out to many different people. Because you know what? All people are welcome to come to Jesus. Whosoever will can come. And of course, this teaching needs to go on today to people all around us. So I, I speak to believers now. And I say, what are you doing? Are you complacent? Do you care about your co-workers that will die without the gospel and spend an eternity separated from God, their creator? Do you care about people around you at all? Because we're called to preach the gospel. We're called to share our faith. Paul says in verse 12, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So 
What was it that Paul committed to Jesus? What is it that you and I are to commit to Jesus today? Our lives, right? Everything about us. Every part of us is to be committed to Him. Our lives are to be in His hands. And He is able to keep us, meaning that we are safe and secure in the hands of God. And Paul says, I've suffered as a result of this appointment. But he wasn't ashamed of the fact that he was a prisoner in chains. Because he says, Therefore I know whom I have believed. And that's the key right there. Knowing whom we have believed. You see, we're not called to believe in a church. We can't say, well, I believe in the teachings of the Presbyterian Church, the Catholic Church, the XYZ Church, the Baptist Church, the non-denominational church, whatever it is, right? Because with these, you can be ashamed from time to time, can't you? But Paul knew whom he had believed. It was Jesus, the name above all names the one that he met that day along the road, the one that forever changed him from the inside out. Paul surrendered all to Jesus. You know the song that says, All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. That's how we, got, we should be doing that. We should daily be living in his presence. We can't just praise Him with our lips and have our hearts, you know, how we really live, be far from Him. We must not be ashamed of Jesus. And we must not hold on to or latch on to any other teaching or any other teacher. Just the gospel and just Jesus. The good news that Jesus has abolished death and brought life and immortality to life, to light. You often hear me tell you, do not just sit here and listen to what I say. Because it, you have to test it. You have to go to the Word of God yourself. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I will not let you become a follower of me. Because if you become a follower of me, you will be so disappointed. But it's not just me. It's any other preacher out there that you can name. Any other big-time guy on the stage. Any other mega-church pastor out there. Any other guy with New York Times best-selling books. You're not supposed to follow him. Any other woman. You're supposed to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. And in his presence daily live. Be led by his spirit. Walk by faith. Don't just talk by faith. Actually walk by faith. Get up and do something. And then verse 13 says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So it says there, hold fast to sound words. Well, let me ask you something. Where do you find 
sound words today? Where do we find them today? In the teachings of a pastor, in in a denomination, in a non-denomination? Paul spoke sound words to Timothy in his letters, and he was, as Paul was led by the Holy Spirit. And today we find these sound words, the Holy Spirit inspired words. Where do we find them? In our Bibles, right? And these are the words that we are to hold fast to. The word of God. The words of faith, the words of love. And all of this, as verse 13 says there, is in Christ Jesus. That's where it all is. The Word of God is powerful. Even in the Old Testament, we find great encouragement. Things that we can learn from, like I showed you in that story this morning of the four lepers. Hold fast to the Word of God. Don't sacrifice the Word of God for any other thing. Don't sacrifice the Word of God for entertainment. Make time for the Word of God in your life. Cut out some entertainment and get in your Word. Keep the Word of God in your hearts and in your minds. Study it in your homes. Teach it to your children. Teach it to your grandchildren. Remember, Timothy was impacted by his mother and his grandmother. And today, if we're not careful with all the things that are going on in our society and all the lies that are, are coming through the media and, and the scientific community and all this, all the lies, all the things that go against the Word of God and go against sound doctrine, and many Christians are latching on to these lies and accepting them when we see very plainly that the Word of God teaches against these things. But that's the difference between being a person of the world and a person of the Word. Person of the Word, if, you be a, if you're a person of the Word, you're not going to be very popular in the world. If, if you're a person of the world, you'll be popular in the world. But you'll be far from the Word. And then verse 14 that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. You see, when you come to Christ, when you're born again, you are born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells you. The gospel message, the message of good news has been now committed to you. It's it's come into you. And you are to keep this message that the Holy Spirit brings into you. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings you into remembrance of this day after day. And don't smother the message. Don't bury it. Keep Jesus at the forefront of your mind. Keep his teachings active in your life. As he has told us, seek first the kingdom of God. That's the priority. That's what we must do. And he has told us to walk in love, to walk by faith, to hold fast till the end. So that's what we must do. There is power in the Word of God, folks. Again, in both the New and the Old Testaments, right? And I encourage you this morning, as is my aim to do week after week, keep the Word of the Lord. Hide it in your hearts that you might not sin against Him. Awake from your slumber. 
Don't sit around and die on the vine. Don't let your faith be a dead faith. Get up. Say no to the fear that holds you back from living the abundant life that God has for you. Four lepers changed the world for a whole lot of people. They saved the lives of a lot of people who were starving to death in fear. And they, and they did it simply because they made a choice to get up and to do something. God made their steps powerful, didn't he? We can make a difference if we would just get up and go. If we'd face our fears and step out in faith and love, we could see people come to Christ. We could do many other great things in the name of the Lord, couldn't we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again this day, we have been challenged by your word. We know that your word is profitable to us for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But yet, what do we do, Lord, with it when we hear it? Are we just forgetful hearers? Because you tell us in your word that we need to be doers of the word. So again, we've heard it this morning. We've seen it in your word. And we know what you desire for us to do. So I pray, Lord, and, and I'm hesitant to pray right now that, that you would help us, that you would increase our faith. And I'm hesitant because you've already given us your spirit within us. And it's not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of love. It's a spirit of a sound mind. It's a spirit of power. So rather than say, strengthen us, Lord, I say, forgive us. Forgive us of our complacency. Forgive us of our lack of faith. May we live for you more in this coming week than we did in the past week. We thank you and we praise you for this time together in your word, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit teaching us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.